Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us here on Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm David Golay, the bike editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Okay, so I was in Crested Butte last week, and it was great to catch up with a whole bunch of the Blister crew and do a bit of riding while I was there. And we also took the opportunity to sit down in HQ with Jonathan to chat about a whole bunch of the bikes and suspension that I've been spending time on recently, which was good because we're frankly overdue for one of these reviewer reports episodes. And I've been testing a ton of stuff of late, including both RockShox's electronically controlled flight attendant suspension and their new Charger 3 equipped Zeb and the new Super Deluxe that they rolled out to go along with it, along with a whole bunch of bikes across the spectrum, including the Rocky Mountain Element, the new Santa Cruz Mega Tower, and a whole bunch more as we'll get into here. And it was also great having Jonathan back on the show, both because it's just great chatting bikes with him and because I even got him to admit to being at least a little bit wrong about something, which made the whole episode a resounding success as far as I'm concerned. So with that, let's get right to my conversation with Jonathan. Well, Jonathan, it's great to be sitting down here in HQ with you. It's great to have you back on Bikes and Big Ideas. We even got out for a mountain bike ride the other day, which was awesome. So great to be back doing this. It is great. I am, as you know, I'm always happy to be back on bikes and big ideas because I do still harbor this slight little thing where like, I feel like you stole bikes and big ideas from me, which I know isn't true, but I still feel like that a little bit. I also realize you are just probably better at hosting bikes and big ideas than me. And that part makes me sad. So then it's both feelings of sadness and feelings like you have stolen something from me. But nevertheless, so I am happy to be back on. I have coffee in my hand. It's a Saturday morning. So all of those other things, this is all like delightful. Yeah, it's been good. And we've been (laughs) hanging out with the crew here in Crested Butte, which has been awesome. And just excited to sit down and talk about some bikes for a bit. I know. By the way, I do have to say, you know, we have this thing and and we were talking about it with a bunch of our blister crew these last couple days you know talking about like our blister membership and we offer these personalized gear recommendations and you know frankly we just get so busy sometimes like we're producing a ton of content on different platforms and channels we don't often like talk about that fact enough and It was funny having you in person sort of back like when we were driving back last night from Kara's house and we get in once again to like the flat pedals versus clipping in and I'm asking you and we're talking about Hustle Labs like the hybrid pedals and I'm every time I get you on the phone or see you in person it is as if I had a blister membership subscription but that I also got to do this in person, not just email in or, or call in. But um, you continue to be a remarkable source as just somebody who, you know, likes bikes. I'm constantly asking you like, okay, I still love my Santa Cruz Hightower, but if I was looking at something different or if I was looking to improve in this aspect or that aspect, where should I be going? Like, you are remarkably good at this. And this is my long-winded way of just saying, for those of you who would like to have someone incredibly good at 
identifying given whatever it is you're into or looking for out of your bike gear, you should become a Blister member and send a note in because of all the people on earth. And I've been doing this Blister stuff for coming up on 12 years now. David continues to be one of the best I've ever seen when it comes to mountain bike stuff for giving the targeted recommendations for whatever thing I happen to be obsessed with in the moment. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> and glad that it's working out. It has been funny. You've been having a bunch of those conversations with the various blister. Oh, right. Yeah. Kristen, yeah, Kristen uh, uh, was doing the same thing. Yep. And actually on the way, like when I was coming down here, I made a bunch of parts deliveries. I brought Luke a seat post and Kara a tire and a whole bunch of stuff. So we've been doing a whole bunch of that internally here yep. and it's fun doing it for our blister members as well. <laughs> well, keep up the good work on that. Anyway, what are we talking about today? Yeah, we got a lot to cover here. It's been a little bit since we've done one of these reviewer reports episodes and turns out I've been real busy. So yeah. there's a lot of stuff to run through here. And first up, there's a ton to talk about with new suspension from RockShox. So First up, I'm going to do a little lightning round on Flight Attendant. They launched that last year, and for folks who haven't seen it, it's basically their really wild electronically controlled suspension that is all about making your bike pedal more efficiently. And so it's a basically a combination of some sensors in the fork and shock plus a one in the pedal spindle or the crank spindle to let you know if you're pedaling or not. And all of that goes together to toggle the fork and shock between three different modes. There's an open mode, which is basically just your suspension working as normal. Uh, they call the next one climb, which is basically just firming up the compression damping pretty substantially, sort of akin to what you would get with the climb switch on a rear shock. And then a quote unquote lock mode, which is an even firmer step in the kind of climb switch vein, though it doesn't quite fully lock either out especially in the fork it's a little bit softer and to be totally honest when they first launched it i was a little skeptical a little dismissive of it i was kind of like well cool you've made an automatic climb switch that costs a lot of money yeah i'm not that interested but i have been spending a whole bunch of time on the yt capra which we'll talk about more in a little bit with flight attendant on it and have actually come around to it being a whole lot more impressive than I had initially thought it might be. And the key to that is that one, I think that they correctly recognized that because the system is automatic and because it has three modes rather than the more conventional two, they were able to make the lock mode, especially way firmer than a conventional climb switch is. And so the gain inefficiency that you get out of this system is a whole lot more dramatic than it is with a normal manual climb switch. So it just makes a bigger difference. It's not just an automatic climb switch that is doing the same thing for you without the same level of user involvement. And then the second thing is that it's just very well tuned and does a really good job of opening up the suspension when it needs to. And so there's a big range of adjustment in this sort of, they call it bias mode, basically how aggressive the system is about locking itself out or not. And the key thing there, though, is that it essentially defaults to having the suspension open and working normally as suspension and firms itself up when it is pretty confident that that's appropriate hmm. based on how you have the bias adjust set. And it does it really well. The on-trail experience is super seamless and it... When it's opened up, it feels pretty much like normal 
in this case, uh, a Zeb and Super Deluxe Air Rear Shock. But then it just pretty smoothly, seamlessly makes it firmer and pedal better when it can. And it does it really nicely. Uh, we have a very lang- long first look up on the site that goes through all of the technical details that I didn't cover in super great depth here. People should check that out. And then the full review of that up will be up very soon, possibly by the time this episode airs, if not very shortly thereafter. So that's coming real quick here. Okay. It almost kind of feels like the age-old question, which I guess it isn't age-old because ages ago we couldn't ask such questions. But yeah, I probably would put myself in the camp of people who, on the face of it, just have a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction about like, my God, mountain bikes are getting more and more and more automated, sophisticated, mechanized. And I don't think I'm a Luddite, but I do definitely wonder, like, what are we doing here? And are we on this inevitable path to, like, effectively, we're all just going to be riding dirt bikes, right? And so let's say we... We you you get what I mean. You get the concerns. We can call that the Luddite camp if we like. Let's call it the Luddite camp for now. On the other hand, there's maybe the camp of people who are just like, they think this new tech is the coolest stuff out there. What we do on Blister is talk about design and the rest, and we're interested in genuine innovations and the like and a better riding experience. I know zero people who are like, man, I hate dropper posts. I just, the good old days when we just, you know, you just had one setting. Those, that was real mountain biking. Like I'm not there. Right. So do you think that those maybe who are a bit more already firmly in the Luddite camp or lean that way, do you want to make the case for why they ought to give this a chance? Or do you think like, no, you won't be talked out of you know, with flight attendant, you're not going to be talked into flight attendant. This is for people in a different camp who just really are curious and interested in the cutting edge of design and innovation. I mean, like I said up top, I was honestly a little bit in that one. I camp myself. And I think what I would say to those people is that it works really well and it makes a much bigger gain in efficiency than I thought it was going to, and I think most of those people are imagining. And if they, their response to that is, okay, still don't care, then fine. I think that's yeah. totally reasonable. But the, if those folks are coming at it from the perspective of, oh, this is just a bunch of gizmos that isn't going to make a difference in the ride experience, You're I think like, that's That's wrong. not true. Yeah. yeah. So do you think, is it fair to assume that – you know, if you are clocking routes and you're doing things like trying to, you know, you're interested in like, I want to have a better time on this loop or I want to get a king of the mountain time. That's those folks should be interested in this. Yeah, especially if you're trying to, I think it's going to make the biggest difference on longer travel bikes that have more to gain efficiency wise. You know, if you're making it X percent more efficient, that's a bigger difference on a bike that is less efficient to begin with. And, but yeah, if you're trying to 
either just drag a big bike up longer rides, even if you're not trying to do it fast, just you are saving some energy and expending less to get up to the top. Or if you're trying to do stuff where you're against the clock on segments where you are putting down a lot of pedal power, it's not really doing anything for you if you're on a fully gravity powered descent, right? It's mm-hmm. just opened up in normal mode yeah. and working typically then. But yeah, if you're trying to either just work less hard or go faster under pedal power on a big bike, it makes a real difference. Is that then your best articulation of who should be most interested in this? Okay. We don't need a rephrasing of that. You just said it. Okay. All right. Yeah. So then the other thing though, is that RockShox on top of that, just a couple of days ago, as of this recording rolled out an entirely new quote unquote conventional suspension line with new versions of the Pike Lyric and Zeb forks and the deluxe and super deluxe rear shocks. And so the quick version of this is that the Pike and Lyric get an entirely new chassis that is supposed to be both a little bit lighter and a slightly stiffer than the outgoing versions. The Zeb doesn't get as major a chassis overhaul, but all three of them get a new spring and damper, both of which are very heavily redone over the outgoing Debonair C1 spring and the Charger 2.1 damper. The real highlights are that on the spring side, RockShox has made the negative chambers bigger and reworked some of the little internal details with how it equalizes pressure between the positive and negative chambers with the goal of making the mid-stroke support a lot better in particular, which was my by far biggest gripe with the prior generation Zeb especially. It's a good fork in a lot of ways, but the mid-stroke support out of the spring is pretty lacking for my preferences and i've been spending a bit of time on the new one over the last few weeks and it is a very very big step up in that regard they have really kind of fixed the gripe i had with the prior generation of that fork quite effectively and then the new damper is pretty cool too it's still they call it charger three now it's got a it's entirely new architecture over the outgoing charger 2.1 uses an ifp instead of a bladder bunch of other stuff like that but the most interesting thing about it is that they have reworked the compression adjustments so that on most forks you kind of default to measuring clicks from the closed position in order to get a more accurate baseline when you're comparing settings to someone else but RockShox has said that they have made it so that the middle setting on the compression adjustments is the default baseline that is consistent from zeb to zeb you're comparing a bunch of different iterations of that fork or copies of it or the lyric or pike all all the same damper and their whole argument there is that it makes it easier to compare settings because the baseline sort of default is a more middle of the range setting that's actually going to be usable for most people rather than the default being compression settings all the way closed which very very few people are using in practice and along with that, they've made put a lot of effort into making the two compression adjusters truly independent. On most forks, the high-speed adjuster kind of works more at higher speeds, and the low-speed one works more at low speeds, but there's a fair bit of what RockShox calls crosstalk between the two. And so the adjusters aren't really all that truly independent, and they've put a lot of effort into changing that. Hmm. The old damper worked well. It wasn't like I had as obvious a wish list for what to improve as I did with the spring side of it. Um, but this new one's good. They've done some nice jobs increasing the kind of 
how especially being able to run relatively firm compression settings without it getting really spiky and harsh in certain instances they've just sort of ironed some of that stuff out the other thing that they've made a big point on was that there's no kind of the rebound slurping noise that you get on a lot of forks it's just super quiet which i don't know personally i don't think is making that big a difference in my ride experience but it's true it's kind of neat and some people will probably care so they've done some nice work there too what about for those of us who really like rebound slurping then you're going to be bummed out oh that's shit but maybe in a year rock shocks will come out with like the rebound slurper <laughs> where they really will have dialed that up it'll be interesting to see how much blowback this one gets yeah i don't think there are going to be too many people in the camp of missing it but uh yeah i guess we'll see and then on the rear shock side they've done whole new versions of the super deluxe and deluxe again I'm not going to run through all the details here. Go check out our first look on the site that has all the info on it. Uh, main highlights are that the Delu- Super Deluxe Air and Coil both now have a high-speed compression adjuster, which they didn't have before. They both also have the option for a hydraulic bottom-out circuit to uh, add some compression damping at the last 20% of the travel to smooth that out. And it's a nice little update. The old shocks actually, frankly, worked really well. And so it wasn't, again, not a case where I was like, oh, this is clearly what needs to improve with these to get them up to snuff. Uh, and frankly, I'd say so far that the performance jump on those is a bit more modest than in the forks with the spring side, especially. But it's a nice little update that's added some adjustability and some new features, and it's all working really well. Hmm. Should we talk about some bicycles? Yeah. So... We should move on to some bikes. First up, let's talk about the YT Capra that I have been testing with the flight attendant suspension that we just talked about. And I think the biggest through line for that bike, so it's a big Enduro bike. It's either 160 or 165 rear travel, depending if you get it in the 29er or mullet version. I've been on the 29er one. And the quick synopsis of that bike is that it's a big burly Enduro bike first and foremost. And it's definitely not an especially versatile one in the sense that it's not a bike that's going to remind you of a long-traveled trail bike that feels real at home in more rolling or tighter terrain. But for what it is, it wants some terrain and some pitch to kind of come alive. But it's a pretty easygoing one for that class of bike and is, I think, a bike that does a really good job of making kind of steeper, tougher terrain relatively comparatively easy to ride and is just super intuitive fairly stable and composed at speed but not a bike that you have to be pushing super hard for it to come alive and start working either suspensions a little bit on the plush end of the spectrum without being wallowy or doing anything real weird when you start pushing it harder and is just a bike that i think is going to click for a lot of people who want a big forgiving bike but don't necessarily need the absolute most game on hard charging thing in the universe it does that super super well so you're saying it's not the bike for me given that that's right yeah i need the hardest charging bike in the universe correct right (laughs) thanks for thanks i'm glad we have that on tape yep um and then hopefully no one listening to this actually rides with me (laughs) yeah yeah we'll just have to keep that quiet but uh (laughs) So that's been cool. That review will be out very soon also. And then a couple that I've started spending time on a little bit more recently is the, well, first up, the new Santa Cruz Mega Tower, which they just updated. It's a pretty big change from the prior generation one. It's a whole lot longer and slacker and 
if anything, the suspension actually feels like it's been mellowed out a little bit to me. So it's not quite as firm and game on as the old one was in that respect. And it feels like a much more cohesive whole of a bike to me now, basically. The old one, I always felt like they had given really firm game on suspension that you needed to push very hard for it to kind of open up and come into its own but then paired that with a little bit more moderate geometry that wasn't especially stable once you got it up to speed and it was in this weird middle ground where it didn't quite know what it was trying to be and the new one is just definitely clearly more bike than the old one so it's maybe less versatile in some respects it's a it only pedals sort of okay for a 165 travel enduro bike it's not the most efficient thing out there it's it's fine but not amazing but it's very stable and planted at speed just feels really good pushing hard and going fast in high speed steep terrain and feels like a much more coherent just game on big bike basically and you know it's not going to be for everyone it's a lot of bike and going to be overkill a lot of places but it does what it's setting out to do well and i think it's a bike that if you've got the terrain and want to push a bike hard it's a really nice one Okay. Tricky question, maybe. Do you think with these updates to the Mega Tower, it is primarily about they have now made that Mega Tower a better fit in the category of what that type of bike should be? Or do you think that the updates were and or are more about differentiating it from say the high tower right because with the previous mega tower it felt like there was a bit of like do i go mega tower do i go high tower yeah i guess it's sort of both but i would say primarily it just feels like a better fit into that class of 160 plus travel big enduro bike and it is much more in line with the kind of modern standards for where that class is and is, I think, a really good example of one. And it's just the old bike was kind of caught in the middle. Yeah. And this one is just squarely in the big game on enduro bike class. But that makes sense for where it is in their lineup also. Yeah. And so so it, it accomplishes both things. But And I realize it's sort of a nuanced question. But I, I, frankly, we know some companies do this. They have some models and they're like, ah, we do need to just let's differentiate out a little bit more. And so I... That's what I was kind of just getting at. Did, was Do you think that internally they were like, let's differentiate these? Oh, and as a result, a, as a secondary result, you now think it fits better in that category of bike. You are saying, no, I think first of all, it fits better in that category. And as a secondary benefit, there's a bit more differentiation now between it and the high tower. Yeah, I think that's right. Okay. So then sort of on the other end of the spectrum of big enduro bikes i've been spending some time on the orbea rayon which is still a 160 rear 170 front travel enduro bike uh it's got options for mullet or full 29 builds the one i've been on is actually a mullet though the frames are convertible and so i I will be trying it as a full 29er in a bit too and that one is a little bit more on the blurring the lines between a long travel trail bike and a real full-on enduro bike end of the spectrum it is way more efficient pedaling than either the capra at least if you take flight attendant out of the equation or the mega tower it's a little quicker handling than either a little less stable than either and just feels it's still a pretty big stable bike but not quite to the same extent as either of those first two that we talked about 
But as a trade-off for that, again, it is way more efficient and a bit quicker handling and a little easier to navigate at more moderate speeds and in tighter spots. And so it's that's one that is more on the blurring the lines end of things, but fits that niche pretty well. Mm-hmm. Okay, you said is more efficient than a Capra without flight attendant. If we add flight attendant, how much did we just close the gap? If we add flight attendant, the Capra might actually surpass it. The difference wow. that flight attendant makes is pretty wild. And the so the Capra's got the one build with flight attendant and a whole bunch without. And yeah. so most people are going to be ending up on that bike without it. Yeah. yeah, so the Capra, kind of like the Mega Tower, is in the class of bikes that sort of pedals fine for what they are, big, long travel enduro bikes, but neither is by any means a standout in terms of efficiency at least before you put flight attendant on them. And the Rayon, by contrast, is one of the more efficient 160-plus travel bikes that I've been on in recent memory on its own without having to resort to crazy electronic suspension to get it there. Got it. Want to go smaller? Yeah, so let's kind of work our way down the travel range here, and we'll end up on a very interesting XC-ish bike at the end here. But to work our way down a little bit, I just finished up and we've published a week or so ago my full review of the Antidote Carbon Jack, which Antidote calls their enduro bike, but it's a 150 rear, 160 front travel bike with a little bit more moderate geometry than all of the enduro bikes that we've been talking about up to this point. And I'd place it more, again, kind of on the blurring the lines between a longer travel trail bike and enduro bike. It's definitely a solid step less bike than everything we've talked about up to this point, which, you know, is not a bad thing. Certainly it's just in a slightly different class than those other ones. And it's a very striking looking carbon frame. They're made in Poland, which is fairly unique for a, of carbon frame. Most of those are made in Asia and it's unapologetically high end. They only offer them in a fairly limited range of, very very nice relatively expensive builds and they're not bad deals for what they are they just don't have cheap versions of them and it's a pretty interesting take on that sort of bike it's uh it pedals pretty well it's fairly efficient the suspension setup is generally trending towards the relatively firm lively supportive end of things rather than being real plush and cushy and maybe the most standout attribute of it ride quality wise is that it works best when being ridden pretty centered and kind of upright and not a bike where you're trying to weight the front end really aggressively and really actually pretty specifically to the contrary and so if you're looking for kind of a longer travel trail bike that works best being ridden pretty centered and upright it's a really nice take on that sort of thing i do think that the sort of body positioning and riding style that it encourages is going to be a little more polarizing than a lot of bikes. It's not something that I think is going to click for everyone. But if what I just said sounds appealing, it does that extremely well. Hmm. What do we think of the name Carbon Jack? We have spent a lot of time (laughs) over the last three days trying to name things and come up with names. So I'm kind of still in this mindset. Carbon Jack? I think it works. It's different. It stands out and it highlights the fact that it's got this really striking bare carbon construction that they're showing off really well and not covering with paint. And it 
it looks awesome. You can actually pay for uh, Antidote has some pretty interesting options for custom paint that they'll offer for an upcharge. So if you do want to go crazy and do whatever wild paint job you want on it, they can do that too. But the standard and the bike that I've been testing is just raw carbon and looks awesome. It's it's kind of a Batman looking bike. It's sort of Ooh. what what he would ride if he was a mountain biker. I think it's kind of the the vibe of it, and it's pretty sweet. We've had in the past sort of like this would be Batman's ski boot or. You know, we actually did a post once, like what superheroes would ski on. That post is a that there's no way that post has gotten enough attention for what I think it deserves. That was that was pretty well done. But okay, we we now have Batman's bike. Mm-hmm. Okay, wow, uh, high high praise. Yeah, it's a good bike. Okay, and so then to step down a little bit more and travel, the next thing up is again this is one that we published a review on pretty recently the orbea occam lt so that's their 150 150 travel longer travel trail bike and something that i think is interesting is that they very expressly say that it's quote not all caps a mini rayon their enduro bike that we just talked about and i think having spent a bunch of time on it now that's totally correct even though it's a 150 travel kind of longer travel trail bike it is an especially efficient, quick handling bike for that travel range. And so I think it kind of works best for people who might not typically be looking at a bike with quite that much travel, but want something that's a little bit cushier than a lot of the 130 travel kind of trail bikes that they might otherwise be looking at. And so it does a really nice job of being a very sharp handling quick bike that works well in more rolling terrain it's not something that you're going to necessarily jump to if you're just riding a lot of really steep fall line trails but for something that is a lot more fun and a lot more engaging if you're not just falling down a cliff basically and still pedals super super well but is just has a little more suspension is a little cushier than most of the other bikes that share those other earlier attributes. It's mm-hmm. a really cool option. And by the way, wheel size? Yeah, both the or uh, the Occam LT and the Carbon Jack are dedicated to 29ers. They don't have options or provisions for doing anything different there. And that's becoming, you know, frankly pretty typical for those sorts of bikes. We're, I think, somewhat disappointingly seeing... 27.5 options disappearing from that class. Which, I am personally not at all disappointed in that, but I know you are holding out. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's good to have options for people. And, you know, if you are in the camp of being like, no, I like my 29ers, totally fine. But, you know, not every single bike needs to be made for you. And No, it does, actually, David. <laughs> I, think that's where I think that's where you've got it wrong. <laughs> every bike needs to be made for me. No. I also like that in what we've established in this conversation is I am f- firmly in the 29er camp and Luddite camp, except for dropper posts. So maybe not actually Luddite camp. So, cause yeah. I know everybody listening to this really, really needed to get clear on that. Mm. This is probably the last time I'll ever be on bikes and big ideas. Damn it. Okay. But anyway, just, yeah. Wanted to clarify what people can do or can't do when it comes to. Yeah. Sizes. Good note for sure. And then to, sort of step down in the travel class one more time here. The last thing I want to touch on is the Rocky Mountain Element, which I've just started spending time on. I only have a handful of rides on it at this point. But 
it's a pretty interesting bike. So the prior generation element before this one, which they rolled out late last year, was a really dedicated XC race bike. It was 100 millimeters of travel. It had almost a 70 degree head tube angle. It was short and steep and Mm -hmm. truly a classic XC race bike. And so it's pretty typical for most new bikes these days to get maybe get a little bit longer and a little bit slacker or something. But as we talked about before here, that trend seems to be slowing down a little bit for the most part. But Rocky went absolutely wild on this one. (laughs) And so the it grew to 120 millimeters of rear travel and a 130 front but it got way slacker. So it's got some adjustability, but in the neutral middle setting, it's now a 65 and a half head tube angle. So four and a half degrees slacker than the old one, which is a huge, huge step. And so it's in an interesting middle ground now because it's still the most XC oriented bike that Rocky makes at this point, but it is way more of a kind of short travel trail bike than a real XC race bike at this point. And so They've done an interesting job of kind of straddling that line because the geometry is notably aggressive for a 120 travel bike, but all of the builds on it are relatively light and XC oriented. And so Hmm. it's an interesting combination of this bike that is an absolute rocket ship under power, pedals amazing, it's light, it's super quick, but is a lot longer and a lot slacker and a lot more stable than most bikes that kind of pedal as well as it does and come with a similar build that it does and i keep going back and forth on kind of how i feel about that Mm -hmm. and what i think it makes the most sense for and you know i certainly don't envy the product manager who had to spec that bike out because it's in this funky middle ground there and i think if you're doing something like the bc bike race where it's predominantly an xc race but longer and rougher and on much more technical terrain than your typical bike race, it would be an absolutely perfect bike for that kind of thing. And I do think though, that I would love to see Rocky offer a quote unquote BC edition of it, which is something that they have done on quite a few bikes in the past. And those are generally just the same frame, but a little bit burlier build and do some stuff like this. All of the current builds on it come with uh, Maxxis recon tires, which are a pretty, kind of fast rolling not super grippy not super aggressive tire the one that that i've been on the c70 which is the sort of one step down from the full top end build it gets a fox 34 with the fit four damper i'd be cool to see a version that has the grip to kind of more downhill performance oriented version of that fork do a few little things like that maybe a bigger front brake rotor and stuff some beefier tires and kind of have a slightly burlier version of that bike for the crowd who sees that and goes it's got a 65 head tube angle i want to kind of charge on this thing but Mm -hmm. still have a bike that's real light and efficient also Mm -hmm. and so i think it does what it does well but it would be neat to have some slightly different options for how to build it out to kind of tailor to the two different ends of the spectrum that it's sort of trying to straddle between right now get a little more monster trucky a little bit okay but it's a lot of fun and i will be doing some experimenting with putting some bigger tires and messing around with the build on a little bit to see if doing what I've just been talking about and beefing it up a little bit does what I kind of hope it will, or if it ends up just sort of ruining what is a super light snappy <laughs> bike and turns it into a weird middle ground that doesn't work. I think it's going to work, but I'll do some experimenting and see how it goes and report back in the full review in a bit here. I like it. I look forward to hearing that update. 
whether you successfully monster truck the element or whether you just kind of ruin the element. And yeah, and then while we're doing wheel size on that bike, another thing that they've done that's kind of neat is that it's mostly a full 29er, but the extra small size is a dedicated 27.5 bike, mm -hmm. recognizing, I think, totally correctly yeah. that people who are riding that real small size just don't have as much kind of butt to tire clearance to work with. And because they're not as tall, don't have the ability to kind of clear a longer 29er fork and bigger front wheel and get the bars at an appropriate height. It's, it gets real easy if you're someone who's that who's short to uh, just end up with a super tall front end with a big front wheel and longer fork to clear that wheel, et cetera, and have a hard time getting the bars low enough to get into kind of a more aggressive position, especially on a shorter travel, more XC oriented bike where you are generally going to be running a lower bar position and kind of a more aggressive forward position there. So I think that's a smart thing that they've done. Yeah. Rocky's doing that on a bunch of their models, yeah. including the element, and I'm all for it. Actually, I am too. So I guess I'm not as squarely in the full Team 29er camp. So that's also what we've learned today. I'm not that firmly in the full Team 29er, nor am I fully a Luddite. I'm just kind of floating around in the middle there. <laughs> so thank you i've learned a lot about myself today david i really appreciate that this has been great yeah we're just learning all kinds of good yeah, stuff yeah a lot of self-exploration uh i don't i mean i know you've been talking a lot about bike tech and stuff but this has just been a journey of self-exploration for me so i really you know just goes to show you can get so many different things out of these you know reviewer reports episodes so a little something for everyone Yep. And been fun talking with you as always. Great to be here in HQ and in yeah, Crested Butte and looking forward to doing it again soon. Me too. Well, hey, thanks. And unfortunately, on that note, I guess we do need to let you start making your way back to Seattle. So, uh, yeah, yeah, about that time to be heading off to the airport here. So time and CB is coming to be closed, but it's been great. And uh, I'll be back soon, I'm sure. Awesome. All right, man. Take care. Thanks. You too. All right, that's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. And as always, we'd really appreciate you taking a minute to leave us a rating and review of the show to help keep it going and growing. I also want to say thanks to Jonathan for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. From all of us at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we'll talk to you again real soon.